Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, episode 14. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It. A novel by Ed Adams. A hands-off approach. Fredrickson had slept until late the next morning. Although only a few hours hopped from Riyadh to London, and with the time zone working in his favour, it was still disorienting. He had left Riyadh on a plane at around 0200, then arriving in London's early morning after not much sleep, on top of his already hectic schedule, meant that he decided to take some downtime. He had located the address for Jake's flat, but obtaining Jake's information was of secondary importance to him. He would be starting the process to build a new node relevant to the business to replace the area taken down by Collins. He knew that Collins would have a safety net of some description, and he considered that he had also factored similar things into his own plans. Right now he had the commission to activate some of his own existing trading entities to provide the new transfer medium for the money, in line with the need of the Arab consortia. Fredrickson did most of his work through others, and had many operating guises through the companies he ran. There was a degree of legitimate business included, and the diversity meant that he had easy access to a wide range of employees, from top quality legal and financial advisors through to manual labourers. Fredrickson was used to getting what he wanted and could use a discreet viewing of Jake's flat and maybe Jake himself to determine the options available. This could veer from gentle persuasion through a job offer to violence or even worse, depending on the circumstances that Fredrickson detected. Fredrickson also considered the visit to determine Jake's whereabouts as something of a scoping exercise. He thought that probably Jake was harmless, maybe an innocent bystander. Within a couple of days, the remnants of Darren Collins' empire would no longer be relevant. Although there would be vestigial companies and paper trails, most of what was important would have disappeared. His people were good at that, and would speedily create a substitute node to continue the job where Darren Collins left off. Fredrickson was one of the people least concerned about any aftermath from Collins. The effects of Collins' companies did not touch him directly, and there were no links back to him, although he had previously taken a direct hand in their creation. Fredrickson would financially back the startup costs of the replacement, but would take a similarly hands-off approach. In all ways, except he would get new creation fees for setting up the replacement routes, and that he would continue to get a modest small proportion of all the money that transacted every day. And that was millions for him, just through the part of the network which had been operated by Collins. Fredrickson enjoyed a brief breakfast in his hotel room, yoghurt, brown bread and a small slice of cheese washed down with two cups of strong coffee. He was in the business part of the hotel, with a medium-sized room with some in-room office facilities. Fredrickson's black suit bag and minimal luggage hung directly in the open-plan wardrobe. He could be in this location for two or three days. It had some anonymity, was not overly flashy, and helped him to blend in when he needed to. His next route was to take a taxi to the area of Jake's flat. He left the hotel and picked a cab waiting outside. The black cab took him to the area of Jake's flat, but he had asked to be dropped a couple of roads away. Like Amelia Brophy before him, he then discovered the still unfolding aftermath of the police visit to the flat. He was several hours later than Manners and decided not to make direct contact. It was obvious something unpleasant and violent had happened, and whether or not Jake was still alive, 
and whoever else had been involved, Fredrickson simply registered that there was going to be an ongoing interest in Jake and that he, Fredrickson, needed to move quickly to take down the old network and to establish the new one. He flipped open a slim black cell phone, pressed a power dial number and waited. A few seconds later there was a click and the number was answered. It's Fredrickson, he declared. I have to go ahead and we will need to move fast. I need to meet somewhere neutral in central London. A few minutes later they had agreed to meet in the Foreign and Commonwealth Club, located centrally a few minutes walk from Trafalgar Square in central London. Manners on a Mission Manners was used to working in counter-espionage. He knew the moves. He could tell now that he was working with a combination of technique, but right now it was mainly luck that was winning. The disk drive he had picked up from the collection of electronics at the flat was different from the other equipment. Most of the stuff was PC-related. This single item had an Apple logo and also a label saying Jake on it. Manners was confident that this would contain a backup of the broken Apple MacBook which had been delivered to him by the clumsy burglars. He had tried to read it with all of the available PCs at his disposal, but he would now need to get an Apple computer to try the drive. He was on the way to a nearby PC superstore. He would buy an Apple laptop and then connect the drive. He was sure this would work. Two hours later, he was sitting in a small hotel room close to Oxford Street with the new cardboard packaging from a small, slim, silver laptop computer scattered on the floor. The machine was switched on and powered up. It displayed a blue background with four simple icons and a narrow strip with further images running along the bottom of the screen. He connected power to the disk drive from Biggs's. He pulled a cable from some bubble packaging, plugged one end to the disk drive and the other end into a socket on the side of the slim computer. There was a moment's pause and then a new icon joined those already displayed. It was a, new, a small picture of a disk drive. The laptop had found the disk drive and connected to it. He clicked on it and found Jake's backup file structure from Jake's laptop computer. Manners clicked a couple more times and found the folder containing the list of digital recordings. He located the correct file for the data he wanted and then clicked again. The sound of the recording started to come from Manners' laptop. It was the recording. This time it was undamaged and pristine. He listened to all of it and made a few notes along the way. Computers for the rest of us, he mused, thinking of the simplicity with which he had fired up the Apple laptop to achieve this. The most important note he wrote down was the reference to the secret code. This was the one that had been unable to hear in the earlier recording because of the damage. This time the code was clear. He listened, wrote it down, rewound that section, listened again and cross-checked with the earlier recording. Manners knew he had the right code. He then dragged the picture of the folder containing the digital recordings to the desktop of the laptop computer. He now had the files on his laptop, whereas he could inspect them at leisure. Manners was now ready to hunt down the source of the number. He was on the trail of whatever Darren Collins was hiding. Fabric Jake was beginning to go a little crazy. He had been locked up in Biggs's flat for two days and had then nearly been caught by some other people who were looking for either him or the equipment and the files he had been holding. 
He had managed a lucky escape using Rick's car and was now in hiding somewhere anonymously in the travel lodge along the M4. He had called Rick to explain what had happened using Claire's phone, and as he had started to explain, he decided to let Rick in on more of the recent events. Rick was not very phased by what he heard. An estate agent by day, Rick spent the evenings enjoying the single life in London and was often out clubbing. He met many people in his various exploits and there were always Londoners with stories to tell. On the club scene, or particularly on his club scene, there were always people showing that they were connected to big things in some way or other, so Jake's story sounded like other ones he had heard. Except, as Rick put it, there was a first-hand experience of people getting killed in Jake's story. And Rick also knew Lucien a little bit, so this had an extra edge compared with the stories of his clubber friends. Jake asked Rick if they could meet somewhere, so they could discuss this in more detail. It needed to somewhere be somewhere secure, and preferably somewhere that Jake could visit without too much chance of getting followed. We'll meet tonight, said Rick, fabric in Farringdon. No one will get in there without an invitation. Take my car to Heathrow Airport, park it in T5 car parking, and then come in by train tonight. Jake was pleased to receive this direction and plan from Rick. He'd felt somewhat out of action over the last couple of days, stuck in the motorway service while Biggsy and Claire were in Zurich. Not being able to do much, not being able to communicate quickly, and being the potential target of a threat did not leave him feeling particularly safe. He was aware of the possibility of paranoia, but decided nonetheless to visit a local shopping centre on the way to the airport parking zone. He visited a department store, bought a complete change of clothing, and then, after paying, slipped into a nearby McDonald's where he changed from his existing clothes into an all-new set. His all-new clothes were black jeans, black t-shirt and dark hooded jacket, were deliberately commonplace and anonymous and included a new backpack with a couple of further items so he could change his appearance quickly if the need arose. As he did this he was thinking that he might be going mad, but on the other hand it was better to be safe than sorry. Next stop, Terminal 5 Heathrow, where he could park for a huge daily amount and he left the car in the middle row of a busy section. The vehicle was distinctive, but you couldn't easily see it where he had parked it unless you were already inside the parking lot. He realised there would be number plate recognition at the airport, so the car had limited time before it would be discovered. If it was on a watch list, he wrote down the zone but left the ticket in the glove box and walked through the vast car park and across the concourses into Terminal 5. Then a Heathrow Express to Paddington and Circle Line to Farringdon, where he would meet Rick. As Jake stood on the tube, he looked at the mass of Londoners and thought how good it was to be anonymous.